Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to Chris Waddell's Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we are actually coming off of the track and field trials, the swimming trials, the bicycling trials, and we have a new member of the 2021 Paralympic team. I'm going to try this, okay? I hope I don't insult Pete. Beatriz Hatz, we'll call her B because she said that that is totally cool. She is, uh, let's see, 100 meter, 200 meter, and long jump. She qualified at the trials in all three is number one in the US in the long jump, number three in the world, number two in the US in the 100 meters and number three in the world, number one in the US in the 200 meters and number three in the world was also the 2018 high school female athlete of the year. She is somebody who is coming on just gangbusters. So B, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Yes. Now, we're in Minneapolis. What was that like? What was that process like for you? Because you also, you guys started with a long jump and it looked like, looked like there were a lot of nerves going on in the long jump. Was that the case? Kind of. So... I had been consistently jumping well over my A standard all the way up until trials. And it wasn't more so that I was nervous. It was just like a little bit of disappointment in the venue. And the long jump pit was definitely not the best. But at the same time, I have to be grateful for the fact that, you know, uh, the trials were being live streamed on, on national TV. So like, you got to give some to get some kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I'm certainly not talking about you as far as, as far as the nervousness, but it looked like, it looked like the whole field had a bit of nervousness in the long jump because things can go, go wrong in the long jump. Right. I mean, like you run your race and you're going to be within, you know, some sort of, you know, confidence interval of, of where you usually are. Right. But, but the long jump, you can foul, you can, you know, whatever, so, so it looked like there were some nerves and maybe not necessarily from you, but from some of your competitors as well, but it looked like it's a hard event to start with. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I like starting with it just so that I could get it out of the way and be like, yeah, my jumps went great, you know, type of feel good type of situation because long jump is like, I think to me right now, currently it's my favorite event because I'm doing so well, but um, it does get frustrating when you when you scratch or like when you fell, it can get frustrating, but I had to learn how to kind of brush that off, especially during competition. And I did foul my first jump. So I had to kind of cool down and uh, figure out what I needed to do. What makes a good pit? You were saying that it wasn't a great long jump pit. What makes a good long jump pit to, to the uneducated? So first of all, um, unlike the one in Minneapolis, we would like a runway that is long enough for us to get to full speed. Uh, for the men, the runway was actually too short for them, so they could not run full speed into their approach. And for those of you guys don't don't know, uh, running fast, like your speed, is key to your jump the majority of the time. Just base, basically basic physics, you know. Right. Um, speed will carry you and so it was tougher for the men than the women but um you need you need a long jump runway that's good and then the pit you know you would need some sand that doesn't hurt and you need it deep enough to the point where it's like you land and it, it's a cushion land like it's nice and soft kind of like the one that they had in eugene it looked like the 100 and and 200 went great and and it was on 100 where you and Famita actually had a had a big battle right oh yeah that was a real good race I got out but she's so extremely strong I have such a respect for her as my competitor and fellow teammate um she's pretty cool we we hadn't 
started talking until recently, I think we developed that mutual um, friendship type thing. Yeah, well, that was that was an awesome race to see. And it was, I mean, it was it was down to hundreds, really, right? But you both went so fast, too. Yeah, she ran a 1284 and I ran 1286. <laughs> Can't really get too much closer. What's that? It's so close, but so far. So Well, that's true. But you also did the necessary step. You took the necessary step, which is to make the games. And then and then who knows what will happen in Tokyo. You have a couple of couple of months to prepare. How did you get into into track? I mean, really track and field, right? Because you're a jumper. How did this work? Well, that's actually kind of funny. It was a joke. I started track as a joke. I had done tons of sports growing up because I'm very competitive. Anytime my brother did basketball, I did basketball. If he did baseball, I tried softball. So um, I was competitive with not only my brothers, but my friends. And I had a little friend group and they were like, oh, you beat me in softball and basketball and snowboarding. I know what I'm going to beat you at track. And I was like, okay, you know, freshman year me was just kind of like, whatever, I'll try this to stay in shape for softball. Because at the time, I really thought I was going to go to, you know, college for softball. No way. I sucked. I was not going to go. But, you know, I I had big hopes. And um, so we made a bet. And I said, okay, let's see. First person to make varsity is going to win this bet. And we'll see how this goes. Not varsity the whole season, but at least just one meet. And I made it. Hold on. What, What did you bet? We just... (laughs) <laughs> the title of, of the better athlete, basically. <laughs> kind of bragging rights. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I had actually ran my first year in my walking prosthetic because my parents were like, we're not going to buy you a $10,000 leg just for you to, you know, have it as a hobby and then quit. So try it. See if you like it. If you get good at it, then maybe we'll invest in a better prosthetic for you. What is the difference between your prosthetics, like your walking prosthetic versus your versus your running prosthetic? Oh, it's, it's a big difference. Um, I mean, my walking prosthetic is heavier, first of all, and then the walking prosthetic has a full foot. But when you're sprinting, you're sprinting on your toes, you're running on your toes almost or the ball of your foot mm-hmm. or feet because you guys all have two feet and I don't. But um, so the blade is set up almost just so like you're hitting on your toes, you're running on your toes and it's supposed to compress. So when you hit the ground, the blade will compress and give you some energy release like back to you because I don't have an ankle. So I'm not able to push off of my foot. And so therefore that's just where it comes. It's just like an exchange. So you, so you have that carbon fiber leaf spring and then you have one shoe with spikes on it. And then you have spikes on the bottom of your, of your leaf spring as well as, as of your blade, right? And yeah. is it just on the, like, just on the front of your, of your toes, kind of, or what would be your toes? Um, I put spikes on, like, the whole spike plate on the back of it, too. It doesn't go, like, all the way up, but it does, like, go pretty far. And so I put in all the spikes available just because when you long jump, it kind of, the blade hits and it rolls over and you don't want to slip. Now that I've always found to be an interesting thing. So when you long jump, do you long jump off of your, your prosthetic leg or do you long jump off of your, off of your, off of your, your able leg? So I used to jump off of my able leg back in high school up until I made my first uh, junior champs team to go to Switzerland. And while I was there, um, the director at the time told me, hey, you need to jump off your prosthetic. What are you doing? I was like, oh, okay. So I had to switch. And ever since then, I've jumped off my prosthetic. So I I know how to jump off balls, but now I don't really feel comfortable jumping off my sound side. That is interesting. So why, why do you jump off of, why does everybody jump off of their prosthetic leg? Just to kind of make it an even playing field because you also don't want to overuse your sound side because uh, we are asymmetrical. So there is a lot of compensation going on, on 
within our body. And so my left leg is my sound side. So it goes through a lot more than I put my right leg through. So it's a lot stronger. And if I just, you know, use it to jump, it'll get tired a lot faster because I'm overusing it. So we use the blade to do that. And also, it's also a little easier if everybody's just doing the same thing. Interesting. Okay. So when you, when you were in high school, so you started running track when you were in high school. Yeah. Which events did you start? Did you start with 100, 200 long jump or were you running other events or how did it work? So I was always in a relay always. So it was always the sprints, the one and the two for sure. And I saw people long jumping. I was like, Ooh, I want to play in the sand. So I'll just try that, whatever. And I ended up liking it. Um, but they did put me in the, you know, two by four and then, or I don't even remember how to say it or yeah, it's the four by one and the four by two. So it's just four people each running a 200 and then four people running a 100 for relay. And then I used to do the sprint medley, which was certain people would do different distances. I don't remember exactly which, cause it's been a while. And then, oh my goodness, my high school coach made me run the 400. I was like, coach, this isn't it. This is not what I, I do not like this. Okay. Okay. You're making me transition into the, into the heptathlete training though, because you started training able-bodied. I mean, you're, you're running just with, you're the only person out there with a prosthetic leg, right? And so below the knee amputee, but now at the training center, you've decided if, if my information is correct, that you want to train with, or that you're training with the heptathletes, right? So, so now heptathlon, do you, if you're training with them, what does that mean? Because you've got the, the shot put, the javelin, you've got the 800, the 200, which you run, the 100 meter hurdles, the long jump, which you do, but then the high jump as well. So if you're training with them, what does that mean? Are you doing all of these events or what, do you, what, what are you doing? How does it work? Uh, no, I am not a mini heptathlete, thank goodness. But um, that that's crazy. They have to be above average in everything. They have to be above average in seven events. So that's just already crazy to me. But for training wise, it, my coach, he's really smart. So he'll separate it into days. So when I long jump, um, we also sprint. So they jump with me and then we have a sprint workout afterwards because in the heptathlon, they do long jump. And then right after they long jump, they have to run an 800. So they have to, you know, have their bodies prepared to go through jumps and then run. So he, he prepared me for the same thing, I guess, uh, just giving me a little more endurance, making me stronger than my competitors. So uh, I'm thankful for that, I guess, but <laughs> these workouts are definitely killer. Um, they're pretty hard. <laughs> All our okay. uh, so are you running in 800 after you long jump run? Oh no! Oh my gosh! No no no. no! 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 He could not make me do that, even if he tried. I would sit down simply just no. But <laughs> he will have us do really hard workouts. I do remember our ladder, which was. Um, hopefully, most of the people know that one full lap is 400 meters. And so for our ladder, he would have us run a, like a 500 and they get two minutes rest. And then you run a 300, get two minutes rest. You run a 200, get two minutes rest. And then you have four 100s with 90 seconds. So that, that was like their workout. And I did that with them as far as conditioning goes. And so like, that was crazy. But the fact that I could get through it and I could sort of keep up with them, just like, kind of encouraged me. And I was like, well, they're kicking my butt, but they're Olympians, so I don't care. Well, it's it's a great situation to be in because you always have to be pushing yourself further than than you would on, on your own terms, right? Because there's always somebody in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I always have somebody to chase. And it's like, why work out with athletes who are like me when I can work out with athletes who are better than me? what's what's their reaction and 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 is that what's is their reaction different than the reaction that you had from the people you competed against in high school 
when they saw you showing up with a prosthetic leg and, you know. Their reaction was different. I, you know, once I walked into that training group, I got the same amount of respect as everybody else. In high school, it was a different story. Um, we would show up and, you know, everybody has to get set in their blocks and stuff. And I could just kind of see it in their faces back in high school. It was just kind of like, oh, oh, good for her. She's trying, I guess, you know, a lot of pity, a lot of doubt. And then, you know, when I would beat them, it, oh, it would turn into respect from pity to respect. But the fact that I would have to change their minds was a little frustrating, but at the same time, I do understand it, but they did judge a book by its cover. Is, is this part of what appeals to you with, is it Naruto? Naruto. Naruto. Okay. Am I getting it wrong? I mean, I pronounced your name incorrectly. I'm getting, you know, you, you can't wait to get out of this interview. Really. It's what it comes down. No, no, this is fun. Um, yeah, I think so. Also like, and explain, explain what it is and, and, and kind of what the theme is too, just so we make that connection. Oh, okay. So like the protagonist, the main character is this little boy named Naruto and he, um, his parents are like ninjas of this village, which, you know, it sounds crazy, but these ninjas have, uh, Japanese anime, right? Huh? It's Japanese anime. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so these ninjas have like these different powers. Every village has their own name. And so he's from the Hidden Leaf village. And there was this giant nine-tailed fox that attacked their village. And his dad was the Hokage. And so the Hokage is like the president kind of, and he runs the whole thing. And eventually him and his mom, like the, the Hokage um, and the mom died. But before he died, he put the nine-tailed fox um, inside Naruto and gave him that power and eventually everybody in the village found out that he had this evil monster inside of him um, instead of the dad like killing it he put it inside his son and so everyone in the village shunned him and he had to work so hard to be um, the greatest like ninja the greatest shinobi and then eventually he became the Hokage sorry for the spoilers but I mean this show's been out for quite a while. Anywho, <laughs> he becomes the best. And like throughout the whole time, he's just like struggling so hard because he's an orphan and nobody likes him. They all look at him dirty. They just don't want to associate with him. The other kids don't play with him. So he's different, but he works so hard. And then in the end, he gets the reward of having the respect of everybody in the village. And is that, have you gone through that same kind of process? Do you relate on a personal level or? Um, a little bit. I mean, I think it's just a really cool show and it does kind of keep your hopes up a little bit. And um, in a way, yeah, because I had to gain the respect of those athletes back in high school. And then like I had to work to get that respect. It wasn't just given to me, just like the other kids. You know, when you see another kid and they look strong, they already met, they already have respect of everybody else in their their heat or their group, you know. But they looked at me and they're like, uh, well, we'll beat her on to the next. Who who else is next to me? So I kind of do relate to him in that way where I had to work really hard to gain respect and, and I did not like pity and I still don't, but you know. And then when you beat them, was it the instant respect or were there people who were like, who were just embarrassed or you, or how did it work after you beat people? Um, it was kind of cool, but it just depended on the person as well. People are different and some people are a little more, you know, worried to get beat by a disabled kid but um I did gain the respect a lot of a lot of them but in the long jump actually I gained the respect of all these girls in my long jump and I do remember this day that my mom was there to watch me at this high school meet and this girl's dad was there as well and at that time I won the whole meet for the long jump and this girl came in second and her dad was next to my mom and he's complaining. I cannot believe they let this girl jump off her, her prosthetic. That's cheating. Oh my gosh. And like, he didn't know that my mom was my mom, you know, like she didn't know I was her kid. 
And so she's like, actually, that's my kid. Sorry, you know, a disabled kid beat yours. So, you know, don't be salty about it. Obviously, my mom is really nice and she didn't say it like that, but that's the gist of it. But that's, but, but I mean, that's, that's also been the thought, right? Because the prosthetic leg, th there are people who think that effectively what you're doing is you're jumping off of a spring or something that it's giving you, that it's like a pogo stick kind of thing. It, yeah. Is that the case or not? Mm. In a way, yes, but at the same time, if you sit here and think about, okay, for my 100 meter time, like, for example, Shakari, I don't know if you watched her race for the trials, she killed that she ran like 1080 something, right? And that's not even the world record for the women. Right. I run a, a 1286. That's almost three seconds slower. So I just like, if you look at it in terms of like just the times, there's no way it's an advantage. Now, jumping is a whole different situation um, because Marcus Rem jumps further than the able-bodies athletes. He's a um, jumper who has the same amputation as me and he's from Germany, I believe. He just really knows how to use that blade for sure. Wow. That is interesting. So, so, so it's kind of, so after the, after your mother told you that, that you were her daughter, what was the response from the guy or did he, did, did he have any response or just kind of walk away? You just kind of like turn really red and you could tell he was embarrassed from like his ignorance. So then he just kind of left. <laughs> now, how, how has your progression worked? Cause you started, you started running on, on a, on a bet yeah. and you know I mean had no desire I mean obviously you had run before because you played all of these other sports you just hadn't necessarily run in the specific direction of of being a track athlete but how did your how did your progression work and how is it working now now that you're working with with some of the best coaches out there yeah, I definitely, I'm grateful for my coach, uh, Chris Mack. He's the best coach out there. Nobody can convince me otherwise because he is the main reason that I have improved so much. It is, it's crazy how much I've improved, you know? I've got drug tested multiple times and I can tell you guys, I am clean. It is Coach Mack's coaching is what it is. <laughs> how much, how much have you improved? Like, can you give us some examples on how you've improved? I mean, heck in high school, I probably ran the 200 in like 35 seconds. And then I just PR'd and ran a 27.10. So. So eight seconds or, yeah. or more than eight seconds. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is a lot. That is a lot. And is it similar in the 100 and similar in the long jump? Yeah. My hundred used to be like 14, 15 seconds. And then my long jump, if I, if I jumped 14 feet, I thought that was great, which is a little like funny to look back at that now. And I'm just almost jumping 19 feet, which is, you know, crazy. Wow. Which is, which is adding a third of your distance effectively. I mean, pretty close. So. Yeah which is, which is huge. And how, in how long a period of time has that taken? Um, I didn't start working with coach Mac for a little bit. So it was kind of a weird transition. After I graduated high school, I moved straight to the training center and I worked with Joaquin Cruz, mm -hmm. but his training just was not working out for me. And, you know, different coaches, different athletes, you have to find a coach that you mesh with and the coaching style that you like. And we just did not match. And so I did not see much improvement. So I left him to go to Coach Mac. Um, I worked with Cruz from the time that I was in Peru to Dubai. So maybe like three to four months. Okay. In Peru, I did not long jump at all. So I was strictly working with Cruz. Then I had maybe like one month or two months to work on my long jump with coach Mac. It was not a lot of time at all. Um, and I saw the biggest improvement in my long jump rather than my sprints. So I made the decision to switch. And then because of the pandemic, I was at home for like five months. So really um, 
I didn't really start working with Coach Mac full time until like last year. And so from Peru to Dubai, that's from junior nationals to to regular world championships, right? Or junior yeah. world worlds. To... No, I haven't been to a juniors. I only went to one. It was my first and last juniors, and then I progressed to working with the adults. Oh, so it was Parapan to uh, to yeah. world championships, right? My bad. No, that's perfect. Good. So what, what are you, what are you working on now? I mean, obviously you've, you've progressed so much and is it, is it accurate to say that you, that you bring a bit of attitude to your, to your racing? Uh, I guess I don't want to show up and be really cocky, but I will show up and be extremely confident in my abilities and in my coach. Well, I mean, by, by attitude, I mean, I think it, it's like you, you bring some fight to it. I mean, you look like you are. Yeah, I, I want to win that. Like, I'm not there just to participate in and come in third. No, thank you. I want to win that. I want to prove to everybody that I'm going to win and that I want to be the best. And I want everyone in my group to give 110%. I don't want to beat anybody when they're given 90%. They better be given their best because I'll be given mine. And I want to beat them at their best, not when they're feeling okay. Because then I can say, I beat everyone at their best. Right. And so that's what I was referring to is the attitude of like, yeah. I'm here to win. I'm here to go absolutely as hard as I possibly can. And you better too. Is, yeah, is, exactly. Where I, did you get that from? I mean, is, is that something you've always had? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I really learned that from my dad. My dad is very competitive, and so he raised us to be very competitive. And um, you know, he would always be like, "Yeah, you never want your competition. You don't want to wish for them to do poorly, because then that just shows that you're afraid of them. Be strong. Wish for them to do great. I want everyone in my competition to have the best race of their life, and I want to beat them." Well, it looks like you're going in that direction. Is, is there something that you're working on? Because I mean, it's, it's like you're bringing you, you sound the foundation of who you are, right, is, is something that's, that's brought you to this point. What about taking that and continuing to shape that to, to make you faster? Because I mean, like sprinting and jumping are so scientific. Yeah. What are you seeing now? Uh, I don't really think about the scientific part. If anything, I just kind of, I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to wing it. You know, coach Mac will fix it. He'll tell me what to fix. He's, he's super technical. So when I show up and I, you know, I'm like, well, don't, don't do these science terms, man. Tell me, tell me, dumb it down for me, coach. And he'll be like, okay, bring your knee up on this jump. And so I do. And, but he has helped me and we're working on a lot of my technical running. So like my form, because it used to be atrocious, it was worse than it is now. So we're working on that. And like my attitude within that, I think has helped me because if I didn't have this attitude, I could easily get frustrated and quit and just be like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. The workouts are too hard. These workouts are ridiculously hard. Let me tell you, if these Olympians are doing it and I'm doing it, that's what gives me so much confidence so that I just watched my teammates kill it at the trials and I killed it at the trials. So I'm like, there's a lot of things going right. And it's all due to my coach. I'll do your coach. Well, not all do your coach because you're putting in the work as well. I mean, he's telling oh. you what to do. Yeah, it's a 50-50, I guess. But without him, I would be very lost, I think. He's, he's amazing. He's my track dad. Well, you, you, you approach it in this, from this great sense of like, it is a battle. It is a battle. I'm going to battle myself and battle my competitors, right? And, but you also, you look good doing it. Some of the people who are watching might've noticed your fingernails. <laughs> yeah. What, so, so it's, in some ways, it seems like you're, you're winning, you're willing to, willing to win ugly if, if that's what it takes, but you're also going to look good doing it. Yep. Is, is that, is that a strategy? Is that, is that accurate? I mean, to me, 
if you look good, you feel good, you run good. And I mean, what, what keeps the camera on you more than looking pretty? And you just, you know, I want my name to be known. Oh, that really pretty girl that just ran. Oh, look at her nails. Oh, look at her hair. Look at her eyeliner. And she just won. You know, it's all like, you don't see a lot of athletes really doing stuff like that, at least not in para from what I've seen. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. Because I did see a lot of the athletes on the Olympic side do it. And I'm like, oh, if they can look pretty doing this stuff, I want to look pretty too. I want to look all busted. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any heroes or any mentors that you follow? Um, I don't know. I had answered this question before with the another interviewer and I, I'll answer it the same way. I said that not particularly because I don't want to look up to somebody and either be disappointed or try to follow in anybody else's footsteps. I want to be the best that I can be. I don't want to be the next Flojo. I don't want to be the next April Holmes. April Holmes is great. I like, I look up to them, but I don't want to be like them. I want to be the next big thing. And that's going to be myself. And I will do this like with my own path in my own way and not really doing it the same way they did or, you know, do you borrow a little bit from them? I mean, it's always one of those things that I'd imagine same kind of thing with, with your teammates, right? Where, where you're training together and you see somebody who does something particularly well and go, I wonder if I can incorporate that into what I do, into who I, who I am, you know, to like take that piece and go, can, can I make it my own? Can I, can I make it mine? Is that part of your approach as well? Like both in terms of the athlete side and in terms of the, the look side or are you just are you just on your own um kind of so annie Kuntz is one of the she won the entire olympic trials for the heptathlon and she's in my training group and she's great and my coach had told me he was like look what annie does before practice and after practice every day she writes in a little notebook and she writes down what she did that day and her results from the practice and all of these things and he was like, you need to start doing that. So I have incorporated that. Sometimes I stray away from it because I forget to, to write everything down in, in that little book, but I have started doing it and it does help because um, like tough practices, you sit there and you look through your book and it's just like, oh, could be worse. I could be doing this workout, but you know what? I'm doing a different one. It's okay. That's awesome. Uh... Yeah. So, so you're definitely, so you're, you're working on your own. What's the, uh, what about like, I mean, this is taking a divergent path, right? So you left, you left high school, you went to the training center. Yeah. It is now, I mean, it was supposed to be 2020. Now it's a year later. How does, how do the Paralympics, how does the training center, how does that all fit with like your education? Are you thinking about going to college? Is that something that's even, even on the, on the radar or are you going to continue doing what you're doing as long as you can? So the original plan when the games were supposed to be in 2020 was that I graduated in 2019. I would take that one year to prepare for these games and then afterwards go to school. But it did not happen that way. And it ended up being um, two years. But because I live at the Olympic Training Center, the, um, the Children's Elite Athlete Training Center, if you live there, um, DeVry University is offered to the athletes for free so that um, we can continue to get our education online. So I had been doing a few classes through there just so that I could get my general education done and then move on to whatever I want to do, which I do not know yet. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, so a lot of other athletes are probably doing the same thing, right? Where DeVry is a sponsor of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And so, so your education is effectively free, which is not the case with most college education, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. <laughs> That is awesome. So what, so how do you envision your career? What is, what, what are the kind of steps? I mean, this is like, you're at the very beginning. Are you envisioning 
a, a long career? Are you envisioning, you know, this is this is my one games or or how is it how how is it gonna go in your mind? I want to be awesome. I want to go to so many games, as many as I can go to until my body literally just tells me, Beatrice, what are you doing? You can't do this anymore. Like we're too old to run. I, I will run until I am too old to run. And like until the newer, younger generation beats me, that's when I will leave. And I will leave gracefully and be like, all right, here's these new guys. But I also don't want to just be a summer Paralympian. I would like to do winter sport as well. I would like to go into snowboarding and do winter and summer sport and go to the Paralympics for both because I think that would be super awesome and not a ton of people can be like oh yeah I'm not just a summer Paralympian I'm a winter one too you guys like you want to see all these medals so that is the plan that is that is good have you been to any snowboarding events have you I'm sure you've seen some of them online or seen some of them on television I've seen them but I haven't participated with um adaptive like athletes within the, the paralympics on the winter side um i did when i was little just with my children's hospital group there's a bunch of little kids doing that and just racing down the mountain on these little skis with our instructors but that is going to be completely different than the actual paralympic side then the border cross or the bank slalom and this progression would be really challenging right because you get Tokyo or Tokyo and then you have six months until Beijing yeah so I mean there's not a lot of women in the U.S. who are my classification and who compete in snowboarding so that already kind of gives me a little bit to just go off of and just be like oh all right, I might as well just join. There's not a lot of people doing this anyways, but I do understand that they are elite athletes. So this may not be easy for me, but I also want to give myself a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, you're pretty athletic. Why don't we just try this? And, and you live in Colorado. So I <laughs> that part's relatively easy. Obviously you're training at the training center down in Chula Vista, which is, which is, almost as close to Mexico as you can really get. So that's the skiing. There's not a lot of skiing there necessarily or, or snowboarding, but uh, wow. What's the, what, what, what do you sort of see as, as the next step? I mean, would you leave the, the training center, go back to Colorado and try to try to figure out how to, how to get going on the snowboarding side? Possibly. I think the best thing that I would have to do is try to, get an apartment near Copper Mountain or Winter Park, which will be expensive. So we'll see how I do that. But um, that would probably be the main goal to try to get an apartment there and just get an instructor and train and see if I can make it. And if not, well, I had fun snowboarding. But at the same time, it's like you can't take away the fact that I went to Tokyo. So I won't be disappointed if I don't make the Beijing team. So what's what are you looking for? in Tokyo. I mean, in the introduction, you are th basically ranked ranked third right now in the world, right? In, in all of your events, but you're continuing to progress. So, so what, what are the expectations? What are the hopes? How are you approaching Tokyo? Cause you have two months now effectively, right? Yeah. Um, my coach and I will probably be working pretty hard, uh, this first month and then the next month we'll have to change it so then I'm not too tired going into the games and my body doesn't, you know, want to exercise anymore. But um, the, the, at the end of the day, the goal is to medal. I don't want to just be there. Being a Paralympian is not good enough for me. I want to medal and I want to be on that podium and I want to hear that national anthem play. Which means you want to be on the top step of the podium. That's the goal. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, and so it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a bummer too, isn't it? Like, like it's your first games, but yet as a result of COVID, your family can't come 
and 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 watch you compete, right? You'll you'll effectively be there on your own. Are you trying to approach it in any way that you can share that experience with your friends and family who don't get the opportunity to, to travel with you? Um, I think so because they won't be able to be there. Well, I, I was actually telling my mom this the other day that I want to buy like a little camera recorder and just like document my entire trip. And then when I come back, it's almost like a little movie for them to see like everything I saw, what, what I ate, what, what I've been through, like what the rooms look like, everything. Cause nobody's really going to know except for me. Right. Exactly. And that that sometimes is the challenge because it's also it's it's kind of a funny thing too isn't it in that what happens what is there a transformation when you put on that red white and blue uniform right and it says usa across the across the front of it what is that what is that transformation for you and how does it affect sort of how you look at the other people look at your friends and family and 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 what you've done uh, it just like makes me really um, proud of myself and I know that they're all proud of me and it's it's just really cool to to even be able to get the opportunity to wear that uniform not everybody gets to wear the uniform not everyone gets to get the official gear the any of that stuff so I, I even remember the first time I made my junior team that uh, we got all that stuff and I was so excited to open up this big USA luggage bag and it comes to the uniform you try it on immediately and you know tears almost come to your eyes that first time putting it on because you're just so proud no way no way am I representing the United States on such a large platform and everybody watches me and it's just like wow that's the USA that's wow you know what did your parents think? Like, I mean, for me, it's kind of funny because I, I asked my parents, I mean, well after the fact, right? Did you guys think that I would ski again? I had a skiing accident. I was paralyzed as a result of a skiing accident. And they said, no, no, we didn't. We didn't think you'd ski again. But yet it goes from not thinking that I'd ski again to suddenly going and representing my country. And, you know, you start running on a bet what did, what was that, what was that look, you know, what, what did your parents think when, when this gigantic bag arrived, when their daughter was going out to represent the country? Um, I think they were really proud of me. I mean, they did take a ton of pictures. They called my grandparents, they called everybody, posted on Facebook, posted on Instagram. They're just extremely proud. My, my brothers were proud too. And, um, it was kind of cool going to school because people at school would be like, oh, that's so dope. Like, no way you get to wear that. And um, I was in a newspaper article at the school. And so they'd come and interview me. And so like people kind of knew what was going on. And it was really cool to just be like, yeah, I'm on the U.S. team, you guys. Did you wear this stuff to to school? Did you wear your USA kit? No, I didn't really want to look like a asshole, but... <laughs> I like would would just kind of wear maybe like a workout top, but no way would I bring my my backpack, my official USA backpack and official USA warm ups. I did not. I was a little, you know, I was like to, to a certain extent, it's cool to show that I made the team, but I also do not want to show off and, and look really mean. Right. And, and you can kind of just subtly it's like. Well, this is this is my workout top or whatever, and it's just it just I happen to like it, and it works out well for me. But yeah, yeah not showing up in the full parade uniform. Yeah, and they have like similar tops too that like you can always buy too. Wow. Okay. So now, what is what what are the biggest challenges that you feel like you have? between now and obviously you're going really well you you've jumped well you've run well what are the challenges that you have and and how much can you can you address in the next two months how do you approach that mentally i think mentally i just need to stay in a good place if i was to go back and be like oh what are they running looking at what my competitors are running i would that would be bad but I have made this change and I, I plan on sticking to it through, throughout 
the rest of my career to hopefully stay in this great mental space where I'm at of, I'm the main character of my movie. Who cares who else is running in this race next to me? I don't care what they run. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their name is. Beatrice Hats is running this race and what is Beatrice Hats gonna run? And I don't care, like, I don't wanna know what anybody else has ran because why compare myself to them? When to me, track is a selfish sport. So to me, I'm the most important one on that track because I wanna do well. Obviously I'm not wishing for my competitors to do poorly. Like I said before, I want them to, to run their best, but I want my best to be better than theirs. Do you, do you look at your life as, as a movie, as, as you are the main character in your movie? Is that just track or is that life in general? I like to think about it in life in general because you got to give yourself that importance and you got to tell yourself, hey, I'm worth this. And, you know, like I'm important. And I need to like stay in a good mental space and I need to achieve my goals and you know no dream is too big for me because I want to do that you know you don't set limits on yourself and you don't put yourself down then it makes training a lot easier and it makes looking at those goals like a lot more achievable what are you what are you looking forward to in Tokyo in general, I'm looking forward to the entire experience itself because this will be my first games. So I don't really know what to expect, but I do know that I want a medal and I want to hold those flowers and, you know, I want to wave hi to my mom on the TV and, and make my parents and my coach proud. <laughs> what about any of the other stuff? Will you have any time to do other things while you're while you're there? Yeah, we're gonna have a lot of downtime, I'm assuming, because they do have a training camp that's gonna go there before the games start, just so that we could get acclimated to the weather. Uh, I'm not quite sure when that is or how that all is gonna happen, but I'm assuming we will have a lot of downtime, but unfortunately we won't be able to go sightseeing because uh, you know COVID and Japan really hasn't been handing their vaccines as quickly as uh, the U.S. did and other places have. So they kind of didn't really want us there. Um, there. There was a point where they were almost going to cancel the games and stuff because of COVID. So um, they're just being really extra cautious and like nobody's going to go out and do anything really. But there, there's probably going to be a lot of downtime, I assume. So you will, so you'll be in the village. I mean, basically it's like village track, track village is kind of but you'll also be there with with a lot of with all the other athletes too yeah from what i understood but also i'm not quite sure if we're allowed to interact with the other teams i'm assuming not it is a weird time it is a weird time because i mean i would imagine the vast majority of athletes on the u.s team have been vaccinated yeah but then the rest of the world its vaccinations have been far more difficult in the rest of the world than they have been, than they yeah. have been here. What, when, when, you, when you finish, you know, I mean, if you can project, I mean, you're 20 years old now, right? And you're gonna run until you're too old to run. And but when, you, when, you get to the, when you get to that end, could you project yourself there? What would you, what would you want to see if if you're if you're looking back on your career looking back i want to be able to just be like wow i had all these little girls look up to me and i just showed all these kids that they could do anything and everything that they can imagine and i want to let kids know that like just because you got a disability or you look different or certain things are hard doesn't mean that you can't do it or that you shouldn't try it so at the end of my career, I want to make an impact on just not just disabled athletes, but the entire world. I want to make an impact on everybody to change their view on how they see disabled people. And I want them to see us as not disabled, but differently abled. And for us to be held to the same standard as other people and respected the same way. I want that initial like immediate respect. I don't want to have to 
you know, obviously you do need to earn respect um, because we are needing to be respectful towards others, but to just read a book by its cover, you know, I don't agree with that at all. And, and I just want, at the end of my career, I want to know, wow, I made an impact and I've done all these things, not just in track, but I have shown all these people that we can do whatever we put our minds to and that whatever we think we can do, just do it. Is that, is that a message that you bring to your, bring with yourself to the starting line that you think my performance is about it is about making that impact. Is that what you bring to the starting line? I, I yeah, I do think so because I do have a lot of younger cousins. Um, I'm Hispanic, so our family's super tight, and um, I've got a lot of young cousins, and a lot of them are girls, and they like all these girly things, and they're being told that sports are for boys, and blah blah blah. And no, they're not. I'll show you. I'll show you guys that you can look pretty but you can do sports and you can dominate in your sport and you could do amazing things just cause you're a girl. Well, you, I mean, cause you embody that, right? I mean, you, you run tough. I mean, you look, you look tough. Like you're, you're like, nobody's going to knock me over. Like, this is what I'm, but you also look pretty in, in doing it, you know? And, and, and it's great to be able to, to round that, that picture out. Right. How did the mentoring part, did it come from working with your, you know, kind of come from your cousins, from interacting with your cousins, but then there, there are a lot of other kids out there. How did you, how did you become a mentor? How does somebody become a mentor? Well, I think it's all in your mindset and who you are around and how you impact them. So like, I think I personally have impacted my cousins. I'm the oldest one. Uh, out of all the cousins for my mom's side of the family. So they already look up to me because I'm the oldest and I'm doing all these big kid things. But, you know, what are these big kid things about? What are, you know, are these things important or not? And then just, um, I have met a few kids with the same disability and it's always awesome to see them running around and just wearing shorts and having so much confidence and showing off their leg. I mean, when I was little, my first time wearing shorts in public wasn't until I was 17 because I was, you know, very afraid to show my prosthetic and that people would judge me. And then eventually I stopped caring what people thought. And I think that's what helped me grow as a person is just saying, Hey, who cares? You are, you do what you're going to do and be proud of who you are. And be strong doing it. Now with your with your blade, you actually have people sign your blade though too. Do you continue to do this now? I used to, and then I had to get a new socket. So I want to redo it and, and have my cousins and my friends and, and family sign it so that when I do show up to the games, it's like, yeah, everybody that I love already wrote me a message and, and I carry it with me while I'm running. Was it a conscious thought when you started doing that, when you started getting people to sign your socket, that that's what you were thinking? Yeah, that was the, the only reason I had them sign it was because I was like, well, when I get there, every time I put it on, I want to know, like, all these people love me and they support me and they want me to do my best and give it my all every time. It's interesting because it's also... In some ways, you were talking about you didn't wear shorts until you were 17 years old, right? I mean, this this idea of hiding and and I mean, we we all do it, right? And some of it progresses well beyond 17 years old, and it might not be quite as quite as visible as missing a limb or something like that. But at the same time, it's like it's it, in some ways it's pretty intimate, right? I mean, to have somebody come and sign your sign your prosthetic, it's like come and see me for who I am. Was, yeah. was that part of the thought process too? Because it seems really powerful. Yeah, kind of. It was to, to show like, if you don't agree with how I look and you don't like it, all of these people do. All of these people care about me and all of these people love me and support me and they think I'm great. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks as long as I see this right here. Look at this socket. You see all of these names? their opinions matter to me more. That is, that is absolutely spectacular. Have you, 
have you always been this strong? I mean, you were, you were remarkably strong. Thank have you, you always been this strong? Um, yes and no. Uh, growing up, I was very hard headed and I still am. I'm very stubborn, but, um, I do remember like I would get in trouble a lot at school for defending myself about my prosthetic. I would get bullied, but then, um, definitely not handle it <laughs> the right way. You know, I had kids be like, oh, well, at least I don't have a fake leg. And I'd be like, oh, well, at least I'm not on the ground. And they'd be like, what? And I just push them over. I'd be like, you're, you're on the ground and I'm not. I mean, sucks for you. So like, I didn't really handle it correctly, but I did end up sticking up for myself. So I was very strong, but I also could have gone about it differently. But then again, I was a child. And so it's just kids, kids do what they think they should do. Right. And you're also, you're doing this in a, in a very different way now. I mean, not necessarily that you're getting bullied, but in some ways, in some ways it's like being a Paralympian, being somebody with a disability, you're on the outside looking in and, and, and a lot of, it sounds like what your approach, what you're doing is to say, you know, Hey, look at me, look at yourself. Like we're all human beings. This is, this is where you're, this is where we're going and, and don't get caught up in, in the optics of what you think, you know, mm-hmm. is, and, and how, how do you, how do you think you're going to continue to do that and continue to, to possibly refine your message, or maybe you don't have to refine your message as you move forward? Um, I actually have been doing some modeling. So I think in that way, I'm able to show people, hey, you can be strong, but you can also look beautiful and you can do everything. And so with my modeling, I feel really powerful in, in my pictures because they do show my leg. That's the, that's the majority of the reason why they, they want me there. They want me to show off my leg. And that's like so cool because I spent 17 years of my life, I wasted them by putting on pants every day when... I could have been out there wearing a dress, looking great and, and showing off and being like, yeah, I'm comfortable in my body and I'm comfortable in who I am and I look great. And so I think my modeling, like, although I don't get interviewed for my modeling and I don't have a book or anything like that, the picture itself speaks a thousand words. Yeah, it, it does. And it's, it, it makes people, it makes people think, right? I mean, I actually had done some similar stuff had done some modeling at one point and it was, it was sort of changing the prototype of, of what's beautiful. Yeah. You're changing the beauty norms and uh, you're just showing that everybody's beautiful and what's more important is what's on the inside. Yeah, exactly. And is, is there any, is there any discomfort in, in putting yourself out there in that way? Is it easier to be an athlete than it is to be a model or is it easier to be a model than it is an athlete? I feel like I'm pretty comfortable in front of the camera. The only time though is when they ask me to take off my shoes and I have that track tan line and I'm like, oh no, you guys, you guys can't see my foot. (laughs) It's real pale. So that's the only time when I really get uncomfortable. And this is not your prosthetic foot that you're talking about. This is your, this is your regular foot. Yeah, my regular foot. You, my prosthetic foot is is more tan than my other one, which is really funny. So this is this is that is absolutely hysterical because you were you you were so strong, you're so vibrant, and you're like, don't look at my tan lines. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, I, I look good. Don't look at my foot. Don't look at my foot. Don't look over here. Look at my face. <laughs> Pay no attention to my tan lines. That yeah. is that is so funny. Well, we're we're getting close to the end here. Uh, thank you, B, for for joining us. We wish you the best of luck. Uh, people will be able to watch you. It'll be it'll be on NBC. It'll be on Peacock. It'll it'll be twelve hundred plus hours of of coverage. We'll be able to get everything. Is there anything? Is there anything that people should look for, people who've, who've been able to watch you here? Is there anything that they should look for when, when they watch you? I mean, they might be able to see 
the signatures on your on your prosthetic leg. Uh, but is there is there anything that you're is there any message that you send that people go okay okay I want to I want to make sure I notice that like any any nail polish thing that you're going to do like for particular races I don't have any nail polish on I'm sorry um for them just to know that uh I've got my nails done my lashes on my eyeliner done and my hair done I'm ready to run fast and ready to to run well that is it. You are going to look great. You're going to run fast and, and you're going to make yourself proud. I mean, it's, if we've taken anything from this, it's about performing in a way that you can be proud of what you've done. Yes. And I don't doubt that you'll do that. So I look forward to, to watching you. I look forward to being able to talk about it. Thank you so much, B, for joining us. Thank you for what you do for yourself, for so many other people and for, for changing, changing the, changing what people think is beautiful. So thank you for having me and letting me spread my message. Thank you. You're welcome. And I look forward to talking again. Uh, thank you all for joining us. It's been a, a pleasure. If you didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, it will be archived on the one revolution page on Facebook. We will also edit this slightly and, and it will be a, a, um, a podcast. It'll be on YouTube, so you can get to watch it. It'll be on Spotify. It'll be on Apple. It'll, it'll be on all the usual suspects. As I always say, though, the greatest gift that you can give us is telling your friends about what we're doing, is liking us, is following us. So thank you all for joining us. B, thanks again. And run fast. Look forward to it. And jump far. I will. All right. Thanks. <laughs>